would you like to hear one of the most misused of all scriptures? It is taken out of context so very often that it is truly amazing. A lot of people treat scriptures like an encyclopedia. Having issues, you just look up the entry you want and you find out what to do. (laughs) That's how a lot of people approach the Bible. Kind of like those pills you take to handle whatever your problem you're having at the moment. You know, got a headache, pop that. Got this, ginseng, you know, whatever. That's not how the Bible works. Uh, And uh, it really is about life change. You know, we've got to take the thing as a whole to understand where it's coming from to achieve good spiritual health. So here's one of those scriptures that's so misused and abused. Are you ready? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Most of us have heard some misguided teachers say, you can do anything you want to do because Christ strengthens you. (laughs) Balderdash. Okay? Whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Not true. Okay? We, we are limited creatures, technically finite. And there are tons of things we simply cannot do. This scripture cannot mean that. And for sure, that is not what Paul is talking about here. For the next few weeks, we'll be wandering about in this portion of Paul's letter to the Philippian believers where he deals with the monetary gift they sent to him. So we'd better take a look at the whole section so we are clear about the subject, making sure we don't take something out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This scripture is often ripped out of the middle of Paul's instruction and just kind of propped up on its own so that it can mean whatever the speaker wants it to mean we'll quickly see that it is instead the very precise center of Paul's teaching to them on this subject of material possessions. And as we read the entire section, we need to be aware of a few other things. First, Paul wants to thank them for the gift, but also teach them how to think about material things. That's his primary goal. Then, while he's commending them for their gift, He also wants to ensure that they know that he would have been okay without it, and all this without making it sound like he's unappreciative, okay? (laughs) But since giving is a critical factor in any believer's life, he wants to encourage them to continue giving without sounding like he's fishing for another offering for himself. (laughs) Okay, So discussions concerning money are always delicate, and Paul handles this with great care you'll find that he goes back and forth between discussing giving and receiving to the proper attitude concerning giving and receiving. Today, we're going to focus on that issue of attitude when it comes to money and possessions. So, be thinking along those lines as we read. Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, 
abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, we see that this whole section has to do with living, giving, and receiving. To have a mind like Christ, as Paul has said, that knows how to give, in fact, naturally gives, but also one that knows how to properly receive throughout this life, and surely our eternal life to come, we are involved in both giving to and receiving from others. Hopefully, as we study, we will also grasp that all comes from God through Christ Jesus and that glory belongs to God for all things. So, let's go through this section with Paul and see what he was saying to those wonderful people back then and how we might be able to apply this to our lives. Paul starts the discussion, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The first thing we notice is joy and thanksgiving. Do we have joy when it comes to material possessions? Are we obviously thankful for what we do have? Watch how Paul develops these thoughts as we read on. Notice the reality of giving and receiving in this world. We are finite, remember? <laughs> we cannot always answer every need. Certainly your heart has ached with mine over some need in some part of the world. We contribute to missionaries, our church here. We support the efforts of our conference in reaching out. We do a lot of things. It is an interesting thought. Do we have joy in this giving even though we can't answer every need? Do we still have joy? Are we thankful for what we can do? But still, note that Paul says they have revived their concern, by which he means their giving. I have overheard people respond to some other person's declaration of concern over some trouble with the statement, say it in a check. Ah, uh, the point? If you really care, you'll show your concern by helping in a material way. As the brother of Jesus said, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Back to Paul's comment. Note the continuity of their giving. As much as was possible, it wasn't always possible, they continued supporting Paul. We'll come to that again today. The point is that if we are going to support a person, we need to be consistent in that over time. 
Okay, enough for the introduction. What is the proper attitude regarding for richer, for poorer? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned to, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Are we content? In need or flush with cash? <laughs> with a bank account in the red or in five digits? With plenty to eat or nothing but mac and cheese? <laughs> My granddaughters would be excited, but not so much me. With lots of possessions or in a home that looks like a college kid's first apartment when he's still moving in. <laughs> you know. Paul was content no matter what. He says, I know the secret. Would you like to know the secret to absolute contentment? Here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret. It takes strength to be in need and yet be content. It takes strength to abound without messing up. And as we constantly recognize in this Christian walk, we cannot do it alone. The key to absolute contentment is a good working relationship with Jesus Christ. It is He who strengthens the believer whether he has a lot or needs a lot. <laughs> if our relationship with Christ is poor, our contentment level will be poor. If our contentment amazes those around us, it might be that our relationship with our Savior is wonderful. Now, people can fake this okay, for a while and on and off, in fact, this is kind of a major game people play in church. <laughs> in our circles, that's the deal. You, you have to act like you're okay. Dr. Acha wrote a book entitled, If You Only Knew, subtitled, Pain in the Pew. Now, pain doesn't necessarily mean discontentment. One can be in enormous pain and yet be content in Christ. We've seen it. And that... That actually is exactly what people fake. They fake just that. They're in pain, in need, whatever, and they are angry. <laughs> but they don't want anyone to know they're angry because that will demonstrate their spiritual malaise, shall we say. Better to seethe in silence than to admit spiritual starvation. So when someone says, How you doing? It's, Oh, great! And how are you? <laughs> uh, it's not that we should spill our guts to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, please. But we should do, as James Allen asked last week, examine ourselves. Are we content, truly content, no matter what the circumstances? You know, a lot of complaining would disappear in church circles if people really trusted Christ and leaned on Him in every circumstance. <laughs> None of us are perfect. So perfect contentment in our spirits probably won't happen in this life completely. Maybe sometimes. 
And of course, there are things that we ought not to be content about. That's true too. But are we content with what we have or we don't have because we have Christ? Point being, we cannot do this on our own. In the world, those people outside of Christ, we observe what's called the downward hedonistic spiral. Those people who seek after pleasure above all things, that's called hedonism, they always find the same thing. Whatever made them feel pleasure last time, which they mistook for contentment, isn't enough this time. So they always have to have something more, more exciting, more dangerous, more expensive, more alcohol, more powerful drug, more whatever to get pleasure which they thought would make them content. And they spiral down and down. Well, a spiritually healthy person enjoys that upward spiral of sanctification. Each time we lean on Christ, our spirit hums a little more like His. And contentment grows. And we find the patterns of our response to life's issues to be ever closer to that for which we were made. And we draw ever closer upward to the one who made us. The key to contentment in our circumstances, whatever they are, is an ever closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Let me start by saying, be kind with your money, not nice. Don't give cash to the bum on the street. You'll just enable him and actually make his life worse. Don't do what feels good, what is nice. Instead, do what is kind. Enter his life if you want to help him. Or give your money to people who know how to do that. Might be smarter for some of us. Paul commends them because they share in his trouble. Interesting expression, isn't it? He says they were partners with him. Well, how does this partnership work? Well, there's giving and there's receiving. <laughs> It's not that hard, is it? <laughs> if you really care, you'll put your money where your mouth is. okay? And you'll do it consistently. They sent me help once and again. This is a lifestyle, not just something we do. We might be on the receiving end of this partnership sometimes, but we'd better be giving something at other times. More on that next week. And in case you're not really sure, is this, is this really have to do with money? Recognize that the words Paul uses for giving and receiving and increases in the original Greek, they are all accounting terms. Okay, He really is talking about money, cash, greenbacks. <laughs> He's talking about money. 
But why? For what is he looking? Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul commended them for giving to him, but he isn't concerned to get the gift. It's okay. One, that's hard to do. And it's a part of the contentment of of spiritual maturity when we are, in fact, in need. How are we doing spiritually? How do we think about getting when we are in need? If you're looking for the gift, you're probably not okay. (laughs) We should be looking for the fruit that increases to your credit, focusing on the good of the other person, the giver. So how does that work? Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Built into all that God created is the concept of growth, like planting and harvest. You plant one seed. You don't expect to get one fruit in return. Okay, It's not how it works. Because God made everything to multiply. Now you've heard the prosperity gospel charlatans. Give to me and God will give you much more back. Okay, They're taking what is pure and right and perverting it for their own gain. Let's look at something Paul wrote about the danger of desiring riches, the danger of desiring gain. He had warned Timothy to watch out as a pastor for those whose focus is material gain. He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs temptation, snares, senseless and harmful desires, ruin and destruction, evils pierced with many pangs. Ouch! He says many people have left the church, the faith, simply to try and get rich, to make money. And the cost to their lives is tremendous. Most of them weren't thinking, oh, I don't want to follow Jesus or spend time with his people. They weren't thinking that. Instead, they were simply living out their understanding of life. Making money is much more important than going to church. More important than following Christ. That can wait for later. I need to make money now. They wouldn't say that out loud. (laughs) Maybe they aren't even aware of it. But vast numbers of people, particularly men, we seem to have more trouble with this, Focus the bulk of our energy in making money. For what purpose? It's not that making money is bad. It is our attitude as we make the money that is the issue. Just before this, Paul had told Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. How many times have we heard it? Nobody hooks a U-Haul to a hearse. (laughs) There are these three guys. 
they were standing in, in front of a simple pine casket. They were looking at the body of a man in an obviously well-worn suit. One guy said, man, when I'm in my casket, I don't want to look destitute like this. I'd like people to comment on, on my nice clothes and to talk about the fine quality of the materials in and, and the construction of my casket. second guy shook his head. Eh, it's more important to me that people say I was a wonderful husband and a fine spiritual leader and a great family man. Well, the first guy kind of hung his head. But the third guy said, eh, I don't know about all that, but I do know what I'd like them to be saying. Look, he's moving. <laughs> I'm in my casket and I'm moving. Let me out, okay? Uh, nobody really, really is born with a silver spoon in their mouth. You know that expression? It re they really aren't. Nobody ever has a death grip on a thousand dollar bill when they let out their first cry. And there won't be one in anybody's hand when we take our first breath in that new creation. And neither will we care. <laughs> Why do we care so much now? We can't take material blessings with us, but we can, in a sense, send them on ahead. More on that later. Oh, by the way, Paul started this instruction to Timothy by warning about the kind of man who won't listen to scriptural teachings. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Remember our prosperity gospel teachers? They aren't the only ones with this problem. The worst of all thoughts about money is that of thinking worshiping God is about personal gain. <laughs> For sure avoid that, and as Paul instructed Timothy, avoid people like that. Instead, we need to be like Paul. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In all material things, we need to seek the credit that others can gain. In giving, as we said, there is always getting. But when you plant a seed, it isn't a seed you get back. It's a whole plant. It's, you know, with fruit, with flowers, whatever. What we give with proper intent, we get back as a spiritual blessing. And in the new creation, even more. Hold on to that. First, let's look at the next verse in which Paul describes how the gift that will result in the credit looks to God. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Remember that these people know Paul very well. He taught their years. He was there teaching them. So they had probably heard the exact same thing that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you hear what he's saying? The Philippians' gift of money was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Christ's death on the cross was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is saying that their, and our, willingness to give material gifts for God's use, God sees in some, some way, in some sense, on a level with what his son did on the cross. Whoa! <laughs> this giving and receiving is powerful stuff. It aims right for the heart of God. It's a good place to aim. <laughs> And when a believer hits the mark, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're not sure if this is a prayer or a promise or both, but the point is absolutely clear. We can trust God. Why is he so content when he has nothing? Because he knows the riches in glory that are his in Christ Jesus. He can trust that God will supply whatever he really needs in his life. And that he will have riches beyond compare in the next. So, we have this spiritually mature person whose heart rests with true contentment in Christ Jesus. What next? To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's the point of all this? All this giving, all this talk, all this giving. What is the point of all creation? <laughs> that which naturally must be so. The glory of our Creator. True Christian contentment occurs when creatures bring glory to their Creator with their material blessings, or lack thereof, either way. When we examine Scripture, we discover that we should lean on Christ to have contentment with our situation in life. Indulgence in material possessions is not the basis for Christian joy or contentment. Sadly, it is to all those outside Christ. It's all they have and their lives wind ever downward. We, however, can be thankful for whatever we do have, thankful for what we can give, by which we sow our true concern, which we do consistently, and our lives wind ever upward towards our Creator. We know the secret of contentment. With or without, whatever our situation because he gives us strength as we truly trust him. And we know we'll be okay. We need to partner with others, whether we are on the giving side or the receiving. <laughs> Not because in either case we're looking to receive, but because we want to take part in the natural plan of growth that permeates this universe, this creation. It's not riches we desire. It is godliness with contentment. 
we are astonished that God sees our pitiful giving (laughs) in some way like the fragrant offering and sacrifice of His Son. We grasp that great truth that every need of ours will truly be supplied by our God. Not just in the way this world flows, (laughs) but according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And forever and ever, we will give glory to our God and Father. Let's pray.